Hello and welcome to How to Grow a Pod, the podcast about podcasting from the book How to Start and Grow a Successful Podcast by me, Jilly Smith. This is where you'll find the almost unedited interviews by the pioneers of podcasting, the hobbyists and the pros who feature in the book. This week we hear from Alison Vernon-Smith, whose 30 years experience as a producer in broadcasting at the BBC and in the independent sector makes her the perfect person to talk about producing podcasts. Or does it? She tells us how she applies her BBC mindset to high-end, sponsored podcast series for brands such as Harrods, True Tales of Luxury, presented by Mariella Frostrup, and Bellstaff's The Road Less Travelled with Reggie Yates. She told me first about her transition from BBC Radio to podcasting. The first podcast I did was for Spotify, and I was brought in as an exec producer because Spotify had commissioned um, a production company that I do work for, for, and this is my first job actually after I left the BBC sort of three years ago and they Spotify had commissioned this company to produce a weekly topical well it was a weekly topical show uh, with Jollyon Rubinstein they wanted Jollyon and so it was our job to come up with a format which I didn't do that was given to me it was basically a roundtable discussion program um, so as an exec it was my job really to then decide on tone calibre of guest uh, working with Jolyon who'd never done this before Jolyon had only ever worked in TV which is completely different and he'd never hosted a show like this so both the producer and I worked very hard with Jolyon to learn how to run a round table discussion programme because the difference in a good one and a bad one is often well it's the host and the guest basically and then the edit i mean that's basically it yeah but your host needs to be able to uh, orchestrate a discussion between people and make sure that the people who have got on as guests all get a fair crack at the whip that you get out of them the information that you wanted and needed when you booked them and you've done a brief and blah 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 um before you even get them onto the programme, a good producer really will have done a brief for the presenter. So you will have said to them, this is what we want from this person, this is their background, this is the areas that they're good on, and sent that to them. And a good presenter will, in my view, will want that from a producer. They may use it and hopefully they're going to to use it and, and then do something better than that. But I have worked with presenters who don't want that at all, and it really shows in my book, yeah. to my mind. Um, so, so um, they will remain remain nameless. Um, so he, can I just pick you up on that just before you go on? The presenters who t- who are resistant to that are they radio presenters or podcast presenters, and is there a difference? Well, this the person, the people who have done it are very rare in my experience because people who are professional uh, presenters of anything um, know that want to make the thing the best that they can, and they're not um, shy of asking for help or for advice, or and they have a much more collaborative relationship with a a producer. The the only people who push back on it, to my mind, are people who are a bit insecure and who have not done it very much so this person the person who did it the last time um has done radio but not really what i would call proper speech radio and and they've done a lot of tv but use the same team of people around them all the time so he wasn't really used to having somebody telling him what to do 
or trying to help him do something better um is how i see it uh so so the, yeah so the producer's job is to get the best out of the presenter and the guest the be- get the best out of the guests if you've got a very busy presenter who who will rely very heavily on your work that you have given them then you're you know you're you're invaluable really because if you're going to get a big name presenter and you're not paying them that much they're going to give you a couple of hours of work essentially um you know i work with somebody else who reads her, her briefs on the train fine she d- does really good questions and she she works very intensively and intensely and it works for her that's fine by me i don't you don't need days of work what you want is a good product and it for whatever way they work um so you as a producer have to work out what your presenter needs and what is going to make the best program and then and it's also about you know obviously booking the guests and making sure that those people are the thing that i don't like about a lot of podcasts is because I'm very BBC and so uh, very lo- it took me a long time to get used to the sound of podcasts because and I still don't like lots of them because I just think oh for god's sake stop waffling where's who edited this and why am I listening to this person why is it taking you five minutes to say what could be said in, in 20 seconds and I still quite like tightly unless they're really interesting people and there's very few of those to be honest then you know they need editing and they need a presenter who's going to you know whip them into shape and 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 get it out of them more quickly that's what a producer does yeah and it's really interesting to hear you say that because much of the conversations I've had so far with my interviewees have been about that difference between the sort of the BBC sensibility or the Chicago school of podcasting, you know, the Ira Glass slot, you know, where that an enormous amount of time and money has been spent on getting the best quality. And I uh, can't remember which one I, I used the metaphor of an ocean full of little ships, some little fishing boats with one person in them bobbing around in this enormous ocean with these great sleek ocean going liners, you know, kind of almost drowning them. It's, it's not a level playing field to mix the metaphor a little bit there at all for you as somebody who's been at the BBC forever and was thoroughly trained to be BBC sensibility through and through can there be a space for that little fishing boat with no producer doing it all out of just love passion project and the sleek going ocean going liner are they two completely different beasts or are they both podcasts they're both podcasts i think absolutely there's room for those but they have to be offering something different in my view if you're going to try and replicate something that's been done by a professional producer with professional cars with people who know what they're doing and you've spent you know a few hours editing it it's not going to sound the same and if it's badly recorded uh it's so don't do that is would be my advice do something completely different if you do a podcast about bird watching for example don't sit in the studio talking about it take me out and and show me the birds and listen to the birds that would be completely different and if you're and it's passion well would in audio i think passion is the most important thing beyond anything else um somebody who's a good storyteller who's passionate about what they're talking about you can't beat that um so if you haven't got um lots of facility and you and you're a very slow editor and and to be honest editing is just practice um then 
do something that doesn't require it to sound professional and polished because it's not going to be that. And some people really like that much looser sound. You know, I know people who there's a obviously a huge audience for that sort of thing who don't like that BBC sound. And also the BBC is very much, I think, telling you what you should think about this. I think that's the fault of most BBC programmes. You know, the producer and the presenter, they know what they want you to think. And that's clear from the way that it's presented, produced and edited. So absolutely, there's a room for all sorts of things. But if I'm going to listen to a roundtable discussion, I want clever people saying interesting things that mean something and that I don't have to listen to 20 minutes of, of boredom to get to two interesting points. Now, the kind of podcasts that you're working with and and on are the big bucks. They're the ocean-going liner versions of, of podcasting. Um, first of all, was that a deliberate decision? You, it's a job for you. You wanted to be paid properly. Um, n- no, I've never done anything as a deliberate decision, which is probably why um, I'm not, you know, don't run the BBC, because I basically do anything that I think sounds interesting and good. If it pays, however, having said that, I probably wouldn't do it for nothing unless I really, really wanted to do it, because I I need to earn a living. Um, the The corporate podcasts have been a revelation, actually, in more ways than one, and I got those, a, f- a very kind... F- a former colleague and friend of mine recommended me to um, basically what's an advertising agency, although they don't call themselves that anymore. I think they call I don't know brand mark I don't know something else. Um, who were looking for somebody to produce a couple of episodes for a pos- for a, a podcast for Harrods, and um, it went from being and it was Mario Frostrop talking to interesting creative people who had something to do with Harrods. Essentially, that was it, and they didn't really want to know anything more about what they wanted um and it was uh supposed to be it was part of a bigger advertising campaign that this company was doing for harrods and the podcast was part of that and it went from being two episodes to five series of six episodes each in a year which was great and i had a lovely time i met some really really interesting people and um uh the thing is of having done so much radio is that certain things are fairly straightforward now so in terms of how to produce a good interview and how to work with somebody like Mariella um, it's kind of easy and I suppose that's what you get paid for is because you can do it and you're reliable and it'll and they never have any they never have to change anything and they don't and it sounds good and I hired somebody to record they wanted it to sound really good quality so we went to Harrods and I took along an engineer I didn't even have to record it and I took an engineer along who recorded it and mixed it so it was lovely it all sounded lovely uh and um I sent briefs and questions to Mariella and Mariella is a really good interviewer and she absorbs information and then makes it better which is what you want in a presenter and we talked to these great I've met some really really interesting people some of whom most of whom I'd never heard of and, and some of whom I had and uh, it was really, I loved that. And it's very well paid. And then the same company then came to me to do a podcast for Bell Stuff, which was Reggie Yates talking to famous people. Um, so essentially the same thing, really. It's just a one-to-one interview. Um, mm. So, and, you know, they're really nice jobs. What's the difference, other than it being branded, between 
that and a BBC type show? What makes it a podcast other than the ability to bring in a sponsor? It's a bit looser. I mean, I think also you can... Uh, I think in podcasts, what does tend to happen is not with Mariella, because Mariella is very BBC, really. A very, you know, she's sort of Channel 4 BBC professional interview. She's been doing it a long time. But with a lot of podcasts, you get a lot more of the presenter in there. So the host is going to tell you what they think and what, what they don't think about things. You get a lot more authorship of the programmes, which you tend not to get in BBC. The opposite, you know, you don't want authorship. If you're hosting a... You know, I don't want to know what Andrew Marr thinks about things, really. You want to know what he gets out of his, his guests. He might add another, a comment or two in Start of the Week, for example, but he's you, you're not interested in what Andrew Marr thinks about. He's not an expert and he's not the academic, whatever. So I think you get a lot more of authorship and of opinion from the host and, and again you know depending on whether you want to hear that or not you're going to like the podcast or not so the the conversation is a bit looser and you can meander more of course you know you don't have to uh there's no time limit although most podcasts i think 30 minutes i think is about as much as people usually listen to of anything it seems mm. to me um in terms of, I mean, I've always approached them as I would a BBC programme, I have to say. So I, the mm. same amount of work goes into them as it would as if if it was on Radio 4. Because I don't really make those podcasts that don't sound like that. <laughs> and, yeah. and I don't know if I could, actually. I'd, I'd have to learn how to be different sort of producer, which would be interesting, actually, to do that. Yeah, which leads us on to the BBC Sounds subject. So BBC Sounds works in exactly the same commissioning way as every other radio programme, which you've and you've spent your life submitting ideas to the, the commissioning process. BBC Sounds looks after radio four programmes, well, all radio, BBC radio programmes, and then makes them available to listen to at any time, which is what a podcast is. How can that podcast that you just described with Mariella, for example, that looser, more auteur type of podcast, be also a Radio 4 programme? Well, it depends on the programme. I mean, I think some programmes lend themselves to that sort of treatment and some don't. Um, I think there's a confusion in a way that the BBC, who was very late to the party, um, partly not their, you know, not not the producers' fault at all. Um, it was part. It was actually they, the BBC wasn't allowed, in the terms of its um, what charter, to um, to make podcasts at first. It wasn't you weren't allowed to put anything on podcasts that hadn't been um, broadcast on a, on a network previously, so for a long time. So do you know why? Just part of the uh, probably. Uh, well, the charter was done before podcasts were really taking off. I think there's always a fear by people that the BBC will just swamp any market it enters. I don't know. I wasn't part of those discussions, but I imagine it's part of that. It's probably that. Um, because it has, you know, huge advantages. Um, so, you know, as producers, we were always pushing to try and get more stuff. To, and it, they weren't called podcasts. They were called downloads. You know, it was, all, it was available to download. Um, and BBC programmes and comedy programmes got huge, huge download figures and still do. 
So, but there's a difference between a program you make on on that is primarily for a Radio Four audience, which is then made in available as a download, and a podcast. Yeah. And I think the BBC it feels to me. And if anybody who knows me is listening, who is commissioning, I'm very sorry if I've got it wrong. It feels to me that they're still struggling with that definition of, and because the BBC is is cash strapped, although people from the outside obviously it doesn't look like that, but as a producer, I can assure you it is. Um, it they're looking for things that can do that can multitask, I suppose. Mm. However. Mm. The, sa- the podcasts do sound different. And I, I, like I say, I, I'm not sure the BBC is... I think they're probably getting there, but I think there is a confusion about what they're trying to do. I think they're trying to, probably trying to do too much with too little. It's interesting, isn't it? There's programmes like Shortcuts and, uh, you know, The Untold, which are which sound very podcasty in uh, to start with, but they are on Radio 4. And then there are programmes like The Missing Crypto Queen, which could only have been made as a podcast. Did you listen to that one? So The Missing Crypto Queen is a very... And hopefully I'm going to get Jamie Bartlett, the producer, on. It's a long, rambling yarn. It's fantastic, but in a, in the same way as, well, I was going to say serial, but not serial. Yeah, any of the LA Times ones, Dirty John, for example, it went on and on and, and stopped for that kind of Ira Glass type reflection signposting. Hang on, something happened there. Let's just rewind on that one. It could only have happened. You couldn't possibly have had that on Radio 4 because it was too meandering. In the same way as Netflix has changed the structure of drama, of storytelling, so podcasting seems to have changed the structure of radio storytelling too. I'm not sure if it's podcast. Well, yes, obviously it is podcasting because the things that Ira Glass made were, they only had podcasts to do it on. I mean, I know he used to do, he started off in NPR, didn't he? And he's NPR, yeah, it's still on NPR, yeah. And so, and his stuff has always sounded different. And I suppose podcasts give you the opportunity to make much longer form document radio documentaries. Um, in so yes, it podcasting has enabled that, but I'm not sure it's podcasting that has driven the BBC to commission those kind of things. I think it's. Ira Glass and the success of Serial that has driven and and S-Town that has driven the BBC to make podcasts that sound like that because they are very derivative Um, and Tunnel whatever it's called 59 or whatever which I think is really good is I find it really derivative of Ira Glass's work um, of you know Serial and S-Town which are brilliantly produced however I have to say if you listen to the list of credits at the end of any of Serial and and S-Town I can believe how many people are involved in that. And I've heard a bit about the way they produce them, which may be completely wrong because I don't know him or anybody really involved with that. But they, you know, they've got script editors coming out of their ears. They, yeah. That's just not possible in the BBC. You haven't got the money yeah. for that. Well, he does talk about that on this podcast series, actually. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I said, could you, could could you make anything without that kind of money? with that kind of quality. And he took a long pause and he basically said no. 
you know, he talked about how they all took a pay cut and all that kind of stuff to get into it in the first place. But no, they spend, I forget what the ratio is now, but, you know, 12 hours for three minutes or something like that. Yeah, I think that's bollocks, to be honest. I actually think that's bollocks. I think people in the BBC, and I'm being very BBC here, but people in the BBC have been making programmes of that quality on a lot less money for a long time. Yeah. I mean, you know, people I know, documentary makers in the BBC, for donkey's years, have been making fabulous programmes that, and they they're being paid and the BBC is this huge corporation I understand that and it's got lots of money behind it but in terms of our actual programme budget it's tiny and very often there is just the producer and the editor talking to each other rather than an Ira Glass kind of style of but but you but the producer is accountable to an editor oh yeah I see what you mean by editor yeah sorry yes uh there's uh, usually an exec or an editor yeah there's it's a very small team and most documentary makers, you will talk to your editor a bit, but it's usually you and the presenter. Sometimes your presenter is, is a, it depends on who they are. You know, you do it with a tiny little team and you work lots and lots of hours that you're not really paid for because lots of most people in the BBC, especially in radio, work oodles of overtime for which they're never paid. Uh, yeah, and yeah. they produce fabulous programmes. So I, I don't really buy that. Yeah, and, and Ira Glass says that there are lots and lots and lots of people who they bounce ideas off again and again and again, and uh, and that's the, that is part of their process. For those of us in the little fishing boats popping along on the waves, having a lovely time, doing it as a passion project, pretty much, you know, not really earning very much, and, and certainly, you know, for us doing our own podcasts rather than for brands. Do we need a producer? Or rather, let me put that another way. When you don't have anyone to bounce those ideas off, how can you tell whether it's any good? Uh, That's a really good question. How can you tell if it's any good? I'm not sure that... Well, I suppose if lots of people download it and listen to it, then it must be quite good. Um, I don't know, because... I've never made something which is entirely just mine. So if you're working with a presenter or you're working with... Yeah, even your presenter will say, no, that's a bit shit, isn't it? Or let's not do that, let's do something else. Or, you know, you need to... I don't know how I would know if something... I suppose you'd know it wasn't completely shit, but you'd always be a bit worried that it was and you just hadn't clocked it. Um, I suppose by finding somebody... Well, some, a couple of people employ me as an exec of their ideas. So they send me some stuff that they're thinking of developing and I tell them what I think. Or they tell me some scripts and I tell them what I think of it. So you can do that, which is, if you know, if you haven't got much money, but you can afford um, somebody just for, a, a, you know, half a day. And give us an idea for uh for those little boats bobbing along on the ocean how much would you charge for half a day to, to and, and what would you give for, for that uh because my rate for bbc and my rate for corporates is very different yeah no forget corporates i'm talking about the little boats on the ocean here the, the one person bands well a going rate i've heard I I don't know that I and I think I might undercharge actually as an exec. I've heard that execs on podcasts are getting about four hundred a day. I don't charge that much for BBC or charity projects or for small mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, it will really depend on who it is. And I could eat, I mean I'd have charged other people by the hour. 
No, it really depends. And what would you give? Say, say you were giving somebody, say, half a day, two hundred pounds. They were list, They gave you an idea that they wanted to do. They they were ultimately looking for a sponsor, but it was a brand new idea that they hadn't got any listeners for. What would you give them for that two hundred pounds? I tell them how they can make their program better. So if so, if somebody has sent me a podcast that they've been doing for a while, and they were trying to get a sponsor, and they knew that it wasn't really as good as it could be so they sent it to me and asked me to tell them what I thought of it so I did and suggested ways that they could make it better and they're really sort of basic ways really but it's identifying what is wrong with something or how it can be made better and a couple of ideas about specific so I would give general you know it it needs a frame or I don't know why I'm listening to this or this presenter's awful or you need somebody who to back, you know whatever um sorry i don't quite say it like that i'm being slightly different but actually not not much less bluntly to be yeah. honest um and but then to suggest ways that they can do that so have you thought about perhaps offering it as a you know framing offering a fr- i think lots of things lots of podcasts need a better framing device you know why am i listening to this what if you had to describe this to me in a line what would you say it is and i do think that if you can't tell me what something is in a line two lines max it's probably because you don't know what it is actually either Mm. Um, and if you don't know what it is then your audience won't know what it is either so yeah stuff like that is it useful to use the commissioning uh process where when you have to pitch an idea to something like BBC Sounds, to use something like that format, I'm thinking of putting something like that in the book. I think of it the other way around, really, which is that in order to be able to pitch to something like BBC Sounds, you ought to, you need to be able to tell me what you think it is. Yeah. And if you can't, you're never going to sell it to BBC Sounds. Yeah, sometimes the process of writing it down, isn't it? It's that sort of, you know, what is the headline there? So what's the title? How does that really work? What, what would a subtitle be? You know, who's the audience for this? Yes. yes. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. yes, it's, a, it's it's what's your strap line? Now give me an outline of what this is. Who can I expect to hear on it? Um, also, um, people, it, again, it, you know, things are a bit loose for me often. So I want it a bit tighter and a bit more to the point. Um, and also your guests, you know, is it the usual people that I've heard on every Bleeding co- podcast? Um, are they going to tell me something I don't know? You know, why am I... There's a couple of quite famous podcasts that I've I listened to them and I think I, I understand, you know, why this would be really popular and I like it. But oh, I'm a bit weary of this format now. It's sort of very samey, samey to not much end i always think people are talking to 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 no end <laughs> you know what i mean it's just yeah it's the so what factor isn't it exactly and uh whereas listening there's um i think it's pod save america uh, there's two that i always get confused but i really like it and it's very clever washington insiders talking about stuff which i usually have no idea what they're talking about um because they're talking about really detailed washington insiders and i love it because they clearly know what they're talking about and they're really good at talking and they're clever um so i'll stay with that and listen to it if like i say even if i think i think i know well actually how does congress work i don't really know um yeah so you learn something. Yes, yeah. exactly. You come away with something. I, I always used to say to the students, you know, what it's the thing that you talk about down the pub. 
did you hear that thing on the radio today? Or did you hear that thing on that podcast that I didn't know such and such? It's that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Now, you've been in radio for a very long time. You've watched lots of trends come and go. Can you give us a, a little prediction of what what you think podcasting is going to turn into? We've gone through the big era of podcasting with the big money coming in, um, Spotify, BBC Sounds. Where are we going from here? God, I, who knows? I don't know. I mean, I don't think I could have predicted the true crime bonanza um people the thing is it's always about stories everything is about stories and any good story is 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 what you need whatever whatever your genre whether it's a documentary whether it's um a sitcom should i mean i think there's not enough i don't know whether people can afford to do drama and comedy drama on on podcasts i don't know that there's many there's a lot of trials on on um, bbc on on podcasts a lot of people will spend less money production companies on making a podcast in fact i'm going to hunt down some producers to talk about that on, on on this podcast series um because you can spend so little getting an idea out there. And if you think about, I mean, think about Serial, for example. Imagine if that was made into a Netflix, how much money that would cost. Cost far less to do it on podcast, to see how the audience reacts to it. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I'm trying to think what I thought, was still thinking about what would the trends be. Mm. Oh. God, I don't know, actually. I really don't know. I think it seems to me that, the desire for audio storytelling in in whatever format is only going to grow. That I don't think that's a very dangerous prediction. But in some ways, that's a huge turnaround. When I started in radio in 1987, the general feeling was that radio was finished. That in 10 years' time, there probably wouldn't be much radio. Honestly, that was how... Because they thought radio was dying. Why would you want... Who wants radio? And, you know, the opposite is true. And for many years, more people listen to radio than watch television. That's been true for network radio, let alone podcasts. And now... Um, so... And that's great. I really like that. I really, really like that. Because I think audio engages your brain in a way that visual... You know... I love visuals. I watch films and stuff all the time. But it doesn't engage your brain in the same way because it doesn't all go on in your head. You know, with with radio, with audio, it's all in your head. So you have an instant picture of who's speaking. You know, you think you know where they're sitting. Everything is going on in your in your imagination. Um, so I can think that can only be a, a good thing. But in terms of maybe a bit more experimental, because. That would be nice. I'd like it if there were just more experimental audio going on. Um, there used to be some lovely stuff on NPR. Um, and and actually, European radio is really interesting. It's really I've not listened to very much of it, but um, a while ago, a bloke who used to work in the BBC in radio was um, a judge on the, um, the Italian, the Pre-Italia, uh, which is audio, documentaries from all around europe 
and he brought and what you can get i don't know if you still can is a transcript so the judges get they get the audio and they have the script in the language in which it was originally recorded plus a transcript next to it so you're able to follow everything and he gave us a few of these to listen to and it was this was a real eye-opener i mean i'm talking about 20 years ago and the stuff that european broadcasters were doing was really really interesting and much more experimental than what was happening in the bbc Having said that, you know, one documentary maker might work for eight months producing a half-hour programme. Are you talking about sound? Are you talking about binaural sound as opposed to story structure? There were stories, but they also were made in an interesting way. So the one I remember was um, two women sitting in a train carriage and you could never work out whether it was drama or real um, and different people coming into the train. It sounds awful, it sounds really clunky and awful, but it was brilliant. Um, and then there was another one made with the real recordings of a siege intercut with a drama uh, and interviews. And it was, but it was made in a much less didactic way. That's what I mean about the BBC always telling you what to think. Yeah. And that was what the European broadcasters apparently used to say, is you always know what you meant to think at the end of a BBC programme. Yeah. Was the Europeans, you thought, I have no fucking idea what's going on here. And it's great, <laughs> I really enjoy it. Yeah. And I would yeah. really, I think it would be really nice if there were some more interesting formats and use of audio, uh, which is not just about the story, but about the way it's told. And not so derivative of American podcasting which is great but it's american it'd be nice to you know develop something else i would like it's not a prediction that will happen it's just a a wish that that would happen thanks for listening you can buy the book how to start and grow a successful podcast by me jillie smith featuring all the interviewees in this podcast at any bookshop or go to jilliesmith.com and click on the bookshop tab And join me next week when I'm with the last of my interviewees from the book, the award-winning audio producer of Blood Culture, author and academic Lance Dan.